Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. For our last installment of this series called Uphill Habits, if you have not been here, I'm just telling you, I, and I feel like this, this has got to be like a pastor thing. You got to think like everything you say is really important. So but I'm, te- I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, this is one of the most important series. And I'll tell you why this series is so important is, is that this series is not a series about trying to get you new information. It is about trying to get you the most timeless principles that are so important. And you could spend the rest of your life doing these four things that we talk about this series. And that alone, I believe, would put you on a upward trajectory in life. Because again, these are the most foundational things to setting you up for God's abundant life. And so we started off talking about how you put God first in all things. That the, the, the most important principle of life is the principle of first. And that when you put God first, whatever you put first orders everything that follows. And so just telling you, living a life of God first, is the most important principle. The week after that, we talked about how like for your personal happiness and success, that the most important thing is to manage your thought life. That when you look at all the scriptures concerning the mind and the thoughts that you have, it is overwhelming to see that, that God wants you to manage your thought life. Other people, they let their thoughts run and go in any direction and dwell on anything and rehash and rehearse and whatever, but, but not, not, not successful people. People living in an abundant life are aware of their thoughts and then begin to manage them. And then last week, everybody say last week. Last week was this. If you were not here, you can go watch it on YouTube. I will manage my time on purpose. And I had a confession in there about sometimes you do things on accident. Sometimes you do things on purpose. So anyway, sometimes, you, listen, your time is one of those things that you don't want to let circumstances or other people or ran, the randomness of life dictate your time. What you want to do is grab your time in advance and dictate what you want to do with it. And if you'll do your time on purpose, you'll get the most out of life and actually fulfill God's purpose that he gave you. So anyway, these are just, just good things, good things. So this week, we move into that kind of last and final, or not final, it's just the, what I took were the most four most important principles. And it's this one. Habit number four is this, is I want you to engage in relationships wisely. I want to engage in relationships wisely. There is something about being human where we are basically designed and pre-programmed to have relationships with other people. I'm telling you this is true, and this is how I know this is true. If you go back to the very beginning of creation and you look at how God designed you, there is something so odd and weird about Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, and how you were designed. So let me go back and give you like a recap of Genesis. God creates things, right? He's like, I'm gonna make some, some space, and he puts this and he makes air and he puts birds in it, he makes lands and he put animals on it and he does all, and then on the sixth day, he created mankind. It's just this, again, it's this image and picture of how God is ordering the world that we live in now. And so it shows this idea of now you've got man, you've got mankind. Now here's the deal. He's looking at mankind. He's looking at this one particular guy named Adam and he's looking at Adam and he's saying, hey, we're in perfect harmony. We have relationship. We're talking. We're hanging out. There's no sin in the world yet. There's no sin in humanity. Does that make sense? He's in a garden called Eden. Just this perfect environment, perfect relationship with God, sinless environment. Everything is going great. And this is what God says. Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And all the women said, yeah, this is not good. You can see that particularly when a man is left to himself, things get dirtier 
and stinkier. Anyway, this, that's not the point. That, we'll talk about that next week. But, but the point is this, is that God defines man as being alone. Everybody say alone. You're alone. God's, and he had a perfect relationship with God in a perfect environment, right? He, he could go hunting and fishing every single day. Like, he was, he was, everything was perfect. But was it? Because God looks at it and said, no, there's still something called alone. And what he was saying was this, is that man was not made to be in this alone state. He can have a relationship with God, and that's necessary. That's absolutely important. But sometimes, like, preachers talk about this. Sometimes preachers will talk to you about how, like, in your heart, there's this God-shaped hole that only he can fill. And that's why we are always longing for something divine, longing for the eternal, longing for purpose and meaning. And where does that come from? That comes from a relationship with God. And so do you have a God-shaped hole in your heart? Yes. But what God said was, is that in essence, not only do you have a God-shaped hole, but you have a a people-shaped hole. You are designed to have relationship with other people. It is the way he designed it and he made you. You have a need to connect in relationships, and that is so crucial. Now, here's the funny thing, is that we're looking in the original kind of creation story, and we're finding that man was not meant to be alone. But here's the deal. There's a recent Gallup study done of of like worldwide communities. And they found that of all the different people, when they were looking at the idea of loneliness or connection, that Americans are some of the loneliest people on the planet. So think about that. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes like when I'm driving on 580 at 5 p.m., I don't feel very alone. I feel like some of y'all need to leave. We need to make some space. There's too many of y'all, right? You ever go to a sports game? Same thing. I am crowded. There's people packed into this one. You ever been on an airplane? I was on an airplane recently. And you ever get, this is the worst case scenario. Because, you know, Southwest, you don't even get assigned seat. You're just herded in like cattle. And then, bless God, you better get that upgrade. Because if you don't get that upgrade, and then you're in like the D class, then you're rolling up in there and you're having to sit in the middle aisle. Now, I'm not a super big dude, but like still sitting in the middle aisle and then bless God, you got two people on bus. That's just not a fun airplane. So you know what? I don't feel alone. I feel like y'all too close. Do you know that like I have hundreds of friends on Facebook? I, mean, I don't know most of them, but I mean, I, mean, I kind of know who they are. But like, I, I, So... So what's weird about America is, is that we're crammed onto highways. We're surrounded by people into overpacked airplanes and environments. How many of y'all work around other people? Yeah, most of us work around other people. We, how many of y'all live in a neighborhood where you live around people? I got people all around me. And yet, even in America, where we have hundreds of, of digital friends and people around us and people at work and people everywhere, we are alone. And the reason why is because it's not that we have lost proximity with people. It is that we have lost connection with people. Because there's a difference, right? Because them two people on left and right of me on the airplane, I don't want to get to know them. Let's just be quiet and get to our destination. And if you're not eating the peanuts, can I have them, please? And so that's, that's, that's it. That's it. That's the depth of my relationship. Now, some of y'all want to like talk to everybody and that's great. And I love y'all. 
I'm kind of quiet and keep to myself. So, but my point is like, you need to connect wisely. You were designed for connection. It is God's purpose that you have connection. And so this whole alone thing, you got to remember that when God did creation, he was, remember he made the, the earth and he was like, that's good. And he made the sky and he said, that's good. And he made little people and birds and, th- and, made, and he, in the scripture, he, he keeps saying, that's good, that's good, that's good. And the first thing he gets to and says is not good. He said, alone is not good. Because here's the deal. I was thinking about this. Why is alone not good? Here's some consequences of being alone or really isolating yourself. Number one is this. You just get a lost perspective. I think that when you are, are, are a hermit and you keep to yourself and you don't talk to people, you don't have relationships, you don't engage, I think you have a lost perspective on life. I think that you can lose your perspective on right and wrong sometimes real easy. Because when you're alone, you can come up with some dumb ideas, Right? This is the beauty of peer pressure sometimes, right? Is that sometimes you're alone and you come up with your dumb idea, but if you shared that with your buddies and they would make fun of you, you'd back off your dumb idea, right? So you need to be around some people that will kind of give you some perspective on right and wrong, trials and tribulations. You ever, you ever isolate when you're going through a hard time? Most people, when they isolate, when they're going through a really difficult trial in their life, they get negative, they get depressed, they start blaming other people. And then you got that. But, but if you're surrounded by people, you got those one or two people who come around you and they try to cheer you up and you're mad at them at the time, right? Aren't you? I, that's what I do. Like if you're in a really bad place and they try to cheer you up and they try to encourage you, you're a little mad at them. But you still love them and you just keep fighting through it and they just keep helping you not get deeper into your funkiness. So you need other people around you. Sometimes you can have a bad perspective on God. Like this is where cults happen, by the way. Some weird guy gets a Bible, goes into a room and comes up with a kooky idea. This is where we get cults from. You can't do that surrounded in a group of people. Because like all your friends and all your buddies are going to be like, dude, that's not what that verse says. Dude, that's not what the scripture teaches. Dude, we've been studying this for hundreds of years, okay? I promise that's not what that means. That's not what that says. But I guarantee you some kooky person got a Bible, went and got alone, came up with a weird idea, and nobody checked them on their weirdness. Does that make sense? And that happens sometimes when you come to God. You get, you, this is what really happens. You, you come to God and you, you find something weird that you like. And here's the reality. Sometimes Christians are looked at as being weird. But this is what I've discovered. You was weird before you met Jesus. You was already weird. You were weird, then you met Jesus, and then you decided to blame your weirdness on Jesus. But the reality, you was weird before. Because this is my, my experience, Jesus does not make you weird. That's just not how that goes. So anyway, you just get this idea. See, this is why when you even think about the way they read the Bible back in the times of Jesus, and then even in the early church, they all they, all they had was oral teaching. So they would literally get in a circle and begin to recount and share the stories. It wasn't until like 300 AD that they were putting the Bible together and canonizing it. Does that make sense? And then even then, they didn't have the printing press for hundreds of years. So like you didn't even have your own copy of the Bible. You didn't walk with God as an individual. Like in America, we talk about your personal relationship with God. They spoke more of your group or corporate relationship with God. Does that make sense? Like they read the Bible in community. They read the Bible in groups because not everybody had their own scroll because you had to kill like a thousand lambs to get a book of the Bible, right? So even, even think about this. Think about the Lord's Prayer. They would not even think of prayer as completely personal. There was a time for that, but think about the Lord's Prayer. Do you know how it goes? Our Father. That's not even my Father. I can't claim that's not mine. That's us. As our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Give us this day. I'm not even praying for my provision and sustenance. I'm praying, 
Because we're a tribe, we're a group, we're a community, we're a family, we're a together, we're a we. So even the Lord's Prayer, when you look at all the scriptures, what you find is this, is that many times a lot of the verses that you cling to are us scriptures. There's this weird thing. As a matter of fact, I'll teach you how America is diving into this direction. You can actually go get your own version of the Bible. You got to pay for it, right? But what you do is you give them your name and what they'll do is they'll literally take out parts of scripture and put your name in it. So like if you read John three sixteen, it wouldn't say for God so loved the world, which is an us. It says for God so loved Todd that he gave... And listen, he does love me personally, individually. I'm not trying to say he doesn't love you as an individual. I'm just telling you, like, I don't know that it's healthy for you to read the Bible that way. Because you live inside of a community of faith that where there ought to be connection. This is not a, a me thing. This is an us thing. It's a lost perspective. I've gone too long. Number two is this lost protection. I just want you to know, like, you're better off in life having people around you to help you out, to pick you up, to, to help you move, right? Can I get an amen? You threw your back out, and you can't, the trash can is on top of you, and you, you know. So you need people. You need friends. You need people that will help you out in life. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says. He says it just really simple. This is so plain as day. It cannot get more simple than this. Two are better than one. Yep. Because they have a good reward for their work or toil. For if... They fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I mean, this can't get more simple. It's real plain. Hey, if you got to move something heavy, you better call somebody. So you need somebody to call, right? You need a buddy. You need a friend. You need a gal pal. You need somebody that you can call. Hey, if you're cold, you better have a buddy. You, you know, if, listen, if, you, if somebody's trying to beat you up, can I get an amen? Two's better than one. I'd rather have a friend in the fight with me than, so I don't get beat up alone, right? So anyway, that's, it, he puts it real simple. You have a sense of protection in life. And we would even see this, see this as, as spiritual protection. That in life, you have a spiritual enemy who comes against you with attacks and you go through a funky season and you go through a trial and you can get down on yourself and you just need people to protect you. You need people to pray for you. You need people to help you out. You need people to come visit you. That's what we're talking about. Here's another one. Not only that, selfishness. So like one of the consequences of isolation is this. And here's, if you're single out there, just hear me out, okay? Because I love you. I promise I do with all my heart, but like single people by nature are selfish, okay? This is not a knock on you. This is a default of life. If you are single, because I know this is so true, because this is what God had to work in my life when I got married, because I love being single, because you know what singleness is? Singleness is I do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. I spend my money the way I want. I spend my time the way that I want. I just do whatever I want, and it's awesome. Until eventually you lead to this and aloneness. But, but in the moment, it feels awesome. And so here's what happened for me. So I got married, right? But in my mind, I, I thought I could still do what I want, when I want. You know, I just thought that was the way, I, that, that's not normal. That's not okay. And I found out that, that ain't okay. And, and I, I found out I'm going to go back to being alone if I don't, don't, I don't rectify the situation. So, so my point is, is that like, singleness, I'm not trying to say you're, you don't be single, you're selfish. What I'm saying is this, is if you're single, you have to fight selfishness because it is a natural default attitude 
Something happens to you when you decide, I need to surrender my life to other people in a healthy way. So I decided I'm going to surrender my life, and it took years. I'm going to slowly surrender my life to my wife. Well, I'm going to prefer her above myself. I'm going to make the marriage first. I'm going to make her first. So I, I need that in my life. And then I thought, you know, I thought I was really proud of myself. I'm like, you know what? I'm not selfish anymore. And then I had a kid. And then that kid demanded that I feed him and put diapers and change diapers and do all these things. You know, what I realized, man, this kid is zapping more of my time of what I wanted. And so again, every kid kept zapping me of my selfishness. And I realized it's really, really good to become a selfless person. It's really, really good to put others' needs above your own. It's really, really good to prefer other people above yourself. There's something incredibly humbling about it. There's something sanctifying about it because you don't want to go down a path of selfishness. And so if you are single, you just have to work a little bit harder to say, what can I do with my time to make sure that I'm giving and surrendering my time and my money and some of my talents and abilities for the sake of other people? Because I don't want to live this life of selfishness. Lastly, is this consequences of isolation? It's just poor health. Like there's some crazy cool studies that come out that God was not wrong. So all that thing that back in Genesis 1 and 2, he, he was onto something. Shocker. What he was saying is, is it not good to be alone even at a physical level? There's this woman named Susan Pinker who wrote a book and did studies and articles and do this for decades now. And she literally went and did a study of people, I think they call centennials. I don't know what, they have a name for them, but any people that live to be a hundred or longer. And all she did was she wanted to determine what is the common denominator to these people that live to be a hundred and long. Does anybody know anybody a hundred and older? That's so rare. You know, so, okay, so there's some. So she studies and she, she looks worldwide at people and she actually finds this one community on an island outside of Italy and she studies them because that area had, I think they called it a blue zone. It had more people living over 100 than any other area in the world and it wasn't even close. And so she spent time there and she's studying them and trying to figure out what is the common denominator. And it wasn't a lot of the things that we think about. They were not eating kale chips. Okay, they didn't have kale pajamas. They did not, you know, like it wasn't like they were vegans or it wasn't anything that you would think. It wasn't they were exercise buffs. It wasn't like they went and everybody had six-pack abs and was walking around like, ching, what's up? It was none of that stuff. As a matter of fact, this is, this is what she said. She said there is um, that, that, that isolated people, this is what she writes, isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. She said people who had bad habits, even as smoking, bad eating, obesity, alcohol use, but if they had strong social ties, they lived significantly longer than the people who had greater health habits, but were isolated. So you're like, no, 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 it's, it's, it is better to eat a Twinkie amongst friends than to eat cabbage by yourself. It's just better. So like, look, and I want you to be healthy. I want you to eat right. I want you to exercise. And that's just not the main thing that they found in the study. I'm not telling you what I said. I'm telling you that God said that there was something bad, not good about being alone. And studies are now backing it up that even at the physical level, this is what else she says. I'll just write this down because she's talking about like relationships. She goes this, this is, if you play cards, I don't know, canasta, I don't know what, if you poker, don't lose a lot of money. If you play cards or have coffee with friends once a week, that will give you a 10 to 15 year survival advantage compared with someone who sits in front of a screen 
all day. So there's something about people. Because what she does in her study is, is she finds that there's two points of relational connection that are really, really important. And give me, give me a quick second to hash this out. One of them was just your family members. So the people that lived on the little island outside of Italy, they lived, and they showed a picture of it, they lived in incredibly close quarters. Like really, really close to one another in the town. Everything was boxed on top of each other. And so like they knew their neighbors, Many of them had friends or, or, or loved ones that lived in their home. They had close family ties. So they had aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and cousins and nieces and nephews and grandkids all surrounding them. And they were just constantly surrounded by people. But the other thing that she found too that was interesting was is that not only was there this strong community bond, they actually said that there was something profound about these people that they even just wanted to like yuck it up with the local barista at the coffee shop. When they saw a stranger on the street, when they bumped into people, just being friendly and social in social environments, just talking to people randomly, being friendly and kind to people who you bump into or the person at your grocery store, that too was part of this social dynamic. It helps for you to connect relationally. It's just critical. So here's what I want us to do. In light of that, Here's the application. Here's what I want you to do to master this habit of engaging in relationships wisely. So here's where the note-taking really begins. Number one is this. If you want to engage, if you want to do this habit, number one, I need you to nurture my important relationships. The very first thing you do is take inventory and say, what are the important relationships that I have in my life? And then I need to nurture them. I actually need to be proactive, thoughtful, and intentional. So I'd make a list of the five, 10 people closest to me. Now, the study said you need at least three. It's almost like this, like, like I got a buddy of mine who, who, who gets hurt every once in a while and I got to take him to the hospital. And so like, I'm one of the three, right? So like you're in a jam, I'm picking you up. That's just, that's just the way we roll. That's I'm committed somehow. I don't know how I got into this, but I'm in. And so like, you need at least three people that you can call on to take you to the hospital when you're jacked up. So if you, you know, if you don't got one of them things where like I fall and I can't get up, remember that thing? Life alert, thank you. So if you ain't got life alert, you know, you better have three people. That's the rule. So the rule of three. And then you just need to list, okay, who are the five or the 10 people closest to me? And then you can ask yourself this question, what am I doing to nurture that relationship? You know what you maybe want to consider is, hey, every month I reach out to him. Hey, every month, I just, even if it's just sending him a text, every, every month I try to connect with at least one of them and go see somebody for coffee or do something. But like you have to nurture or cultivate the relationship. And so this is true, especially when it comes to our marriage. Many of us, we look at other people's marriages and we think, why isn't my marriage like that? I wish our marriage should be like that. You sense the frustration, you sense the tension in your own marriage. And I'm just telling you that like you have to nurture that thing. Because here's the deal. When you look at other people's marriage, the grass is not always greener on the other side. But if it is, bless God, I guarantee you, they're fertilizing that thing, right? Like I got a guy in my neighborhood who's got a nicer yard than everybody else. His name's Art. You know what I'm talking about? Like, guys got roses everywhere and flowers and everything. Man, that dude spends time. That dude puts in work. That dude is punching and fertilizing. He's down there with scissors trimming. I mean, he just... So we could all look around and be jealous and be like, I wish I had a yard like that. Well, get to work. You better get to... So your relationships, if, if you believe that relationships, great relationships just happen by accident... You're living in the rom-com world, okay? Like romantic comedies where people meet and she lost her memory every day and they, but they love each other or whatever, whatever dumb new romantic comedy. I know that one's old, but, but... And then they fall in love and it just magically works. There's a reason why that's a movie. It's because it's not real. 
If you took the greatest relationships, I promise, if you took the greatest marriages and you tried to videotape them, they'd be boring. They would. They'd be the most boring things in the world. Because like our relationship, it's just about the slow, the steady, the day-to-day, the constant input, the constant investment, the constant sowing and reaping. It's, this, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a romantic comedy. That's not how this works. You actually have to put in work and energy and effort. When it comes to your kids, so like, like, like when you think about your kids, like what are you doing to nurture your relationship with your kids? You've got to make sure, okay, are we doing vacations? Do I have daddy-daughter night? Am I have, do I have father-son time? Do I have whatever? Are we intentionally planning on purpose our time to nurture these relationships? Like going back to marriage, do you have date night? Like date night is holy. Date night is there's the Sabbath and then there's date night. That's it. And so like, go on, a, go on a weekend getaway. Them kids have been driving you crazy. You deserve it, right? Don't be the couple who, if I ask you when, when was the last time you had date night, you're like, well, since the kids have been born. No, no, don't be those people. Cultivate, nurture your relationships. When you think about your loved ones, your friendships, cultivate and nurture those. Listen to what Peter says. First Peter four, verse seven and eight says this. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray But above all, meaning like, okay, look, but this is the most important thing. Above all, love each other, what? Earnestly, deeply is another translation. So like when you think about your important relationships, don't let them happen by accident and default. That's a romantic comedy. No, love people deeply. Go out of your way to nurture and cultivate that relationship. Number two is this, is if you wanna have this this habit down and we wanna apply the habit. Number two is restore broken relationships. Let's just be honest, because we're sinful, because we're quirky, because we're weird, because we go through sometimes bad seasons of life, sometimes we end up with a bad happenstance in a relationship. Something goes south, something goes negative. Sometimes I need to go back and restore a broken relationship. And the greatest way that you can restore a relationship, everybody say confession. It's what the Bible teaches confession. Most of the time, especially if you grew up Catholic, you think confession is in a box. It's not how confession works in scripture. If you go read the Bible, most of confession isn't even confessing to God. Most of confession is confessing to other people. It's about you going to another person and owning it and being humble and apologizing without excuse and apologizing without making up every reason as to why you did it and not giving yourself an out. It's just saying, hey, look, I don't even know. I was wrong. I was in a bad place. I was in a bad mood. I shouldn't have said those words. I want you to know that I just wanted to apologize and let you know, I hope you can forgive me. So confession, sometimes you're on the other end of it though. Sometimes the other person is wanting to change. Sometimes the other person's wanting to restore the relationship. And so the, the opposite end is this, is I need to forgive. I want to live a life of forgiveness, a life where I'm, I'm realizing that we're all sinful, we're all trying, we're all trying to work it out. So when somebody comes to me or somebody's wronged me or something happens in a relationship, I need to pursue forgiveness. Look at what the Bible says. Colossians 3, verse 13. Colossians 3, 13 says, bear with each other. You know what that means? Sometimes we're tough. We're sinful, we're flawed, we're weird, we're quirky. So you, sometimes you got to endure Pastor Todd. Okay, I don't, I don't got it all figured out. I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus Jr. Sometimes I might make a mistake. Just love me anyway. Just bear with me. So bear with me. And then what? Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So again, your forgiveness isn't even because they deserve it. It's just because Jesus is awesome. That's it. You ever wonder why you forgive? Oh, it's because Jesus is awesome. And he forgave you. That's it. They didn't, I'm not saying they deserve your forgiveness. I'm just saying Jesus is awesome and he forgave you. So if you're gonna keep taking forgiveness, 
you got to start giving it as well. So forgive one another. Look at this other scripture. This is, a, this is an awesome scripture. Romans 12, verse 18. It says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, do what? Live at peace with everyone. So sometimes you need to confess. Sometimes you need to forgive. But if there's a relationship worth preserving, let's restore the broken relationship. Number three is this. Number three is, is that I need to initiate, I'm sorry, I need to sever any harmful relationships. Um, anybody got some of those? Can I get a, you ever run into that guy, that girl? You figured out they were toxic. They were, they were vampires sucking the life out of you. Sometimes in life, we run into some bad people and, and if you're a Christian, you, you think, well, I need to love everybody. Yeah, you need to love everybody. That doesn't mean you need to hitch your life to everybody. And so every once in a while, you'll find that that buddy from high school, that girl that you know at work, that whatever, that that doesn't mean that you are all in on that relationship. Sometimes you need to be aware that some people are in a funky place or dysfunction or going through hard time. I mean, they're just toxic and we are not going all in on that relationship. And I may even need to sever that difficult relationship. I'll prove it to you. Listen to this. Proverbs 13 says, he who walks with the wise, they get wiser, but the companion of fools, they suffer harm. See, if you keep rolling with toxic, bad people, harmful people, destructive people, drama people, you're going to catch their drama. You're going to reap the whirlwind of crazy that comes with their life. And so I'm not saying that you don't love them. I'm saying that you don't connect deeply with those people. You love those people at a distance. So when it comes to our harmful relationship, sometimes that's, that is the answer. We need a boundary. We need something that says, okay, I go, I, I see this person on these occasions and in these times or in these environments, but I don't go any further than that because I know it'll just lead to harm. So I, I just know, put it this way, when I counsel people, when I talk to people and they get into their crazy stories, when I say, you know, hey, you know, this ever happened, this ever happened, this ever happened, especially when you go back, when they get into their craziest, dumbest stories, the stories almost always begin with this. Well, I was with so-and-so and then we did, you know, it's like a year crazy. Think about your dumbest moments in life. Did you do them alone? The du- Remember that time you got arrested? Don't. You probably weren't alone. I think back at my young adult and childhood and coming up in teenage years and I had a buddy of mine. I ran into more cops, did more illegal things, broke more laws when I was with Otto. (laughs) Otto was my, like I had a group of buddies, but then I met Otto. (laughs) And then I started hanging out too much with Otto, even to where my awful bad friends were like, dang, you've gone too far. And so, yeah, ran into more pride just because I was with Otto. Well, what did mama always teach you? This is what the Bible says. She was probably quoting something very, very close to this. It says this, I lost my place. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So if you have some bad company, what relationships do you need to sever? Hey, let let me just challenge you. I'm gonna get up in your grill for a second. If you've got a, a relationship at work or a social relationship and it's starting to get flirty and you're married, stop it. I'm just telling you. See, you don't normally just jump right off the boat. You don't normally just jump right off the cliff and dive in. What you do is you just kind of inch your way closer and closer there. And usually when it comes to those inappropriate relationships, if you're married, it's because you started taking one little step. And many times it's that flirty relationship. I'm just telling you, if you've got a flirty relationship, sever it, cut that thing off. Cause it's only, because I know what you do in your mind, you're justifying. 
You're rationalizing. And I'm telling you as a sinful human being, you are so creative when it comes to rationalizing your sinful behavior. It is when we are at our most creative. If you got a flirty relationship, cut it off. Hey, if you got that emotional thing going right now where you're not connecting with your spouse, but then you got the other person you connect with deeply on an emotional level, cut it out. You're on Facebook and you're reconnecting, stop it. You have to sever harmful relationships. Lastly is this, and this is, no, not last, I got two more. 32 minutes if you're taking medicine, it's 11 away. I'm gonna be quick though. Here we go. Initiate some meaningful relationships. So here's the deal. I want you to nurture the important ones. You already know who those are. I want you to restore some broken ones. I want you to maybe cut off some bad ones, but let's do this. This is where life is at its best is when you initiate some great relationships. Who is it that you need to be partnering with? And I'm gonna tell you right now, I believe this wholeheartedly that your greatest relationships should come within a community of faith. Your greatest relationship should come with people who are, who are pursuing Christ-like character like you, who are pursuing God's purpose and plan for their life like you. That is the best place. It is inside of a community of faith. It is inside of the, the bigger, larger church and even your local church. Listen to this. Initiate some meaningful relationships. Hebrews says this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit. Everybody say the habit. We're talking about habits, uphill habits. He goes, don't, don't do that. That's a bad habit, neglecting to meet with one another. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so what he was saying was this. He was challenging the church. He goes, don't get sloppy about your church. Don't get sloppy about connecting at church. Don't be a sloppy about being. See, in the, in the New Testament, if you go read the book of Acts, what you find is this. Is they would meet in a large corporate gathering at the temple. And then they were literally meeting house to house. Excuse me, specific scriptures and acts where they talked about, nope, they just met from house to house. They were breaking bread and talking about scriptures and sharing stories and talking about Jesus. And they were living inside of a community of faith. And so that's where you see in the book of Acts, they just knew, man, I'm, I'm all in on this Jesus thing. Therefore, I need to initiate some new meaningful relationships. Listen to this. Ephesians 2 says this. Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. I read a different translation than what they put up there. What'd they say? Hey, everybody say family. I mean, like if you missed everything, just pick up on that. Like you're part of a family now. Remember that whole nurture your important relationships? You're part of a family now. So when, when, when the apostle Paul talks about church, he describes it as a family and as a body, like literally a body. He uses an analogy of body. Well, you need to fit in the body and you need to belong to a family. So wherever you are, you need to find the fit and feel the belong and get connected and develop and cultivate and initiate those new relationships. You need to be in a small group. You need to serve. You need to know some people. You should not be, listen to me. If we're gonna be alone on airplanes and alone on highways, bless God, we should never be alone sitting in church. You should be able to look around. And, if, and it, it, I, I know sometimes it's weird, I know sometimes it's hard. You're like, oh, I'm kind of new to a church. And you're like, I don't want to go out of my way to like meet you. I'm just telling you, you got to do little things that maybe make you a little uncomfortable. Go meet some people. Go introduce some people. And the easiest, two easiest ways to do that is start serving and to get into a small group because then you can't help but connect at a personal level. So initiate some meaningful relationships. And then lastly, we'll close on this, is you need to develop your relationship with God. That's what I'm going to do. Like I need you to know that God is not this distant being out in the universe that we are humbly paying homage to. Everything in scripture tells us that God desires relationship. 
that God desires deep connection. This is not you saying a creed, following some rules so that God will like you. That is the most ridiculous thing in the world. God already madly loves you, which is why he sent his son to die for you so he could reconnect with you in relationship. I'll prove it to you. What did Jesus call God? Father. He's like, when you pray, what do you call him? Father. It was even a, even, even a, a more personal word in Aramaic. They would have said Abba, which just means dad or even daddy, maybe even like that's. So he was like, I want you to know God's close. He's as close as the air you breathe. He's right there. Like God fills all things. He's, he's ever present. He can't not be present. So connect to him on a relationship. He's a, he's a father. You know what the New Testament teaches you that Jesus is? He talks about Jesus being the firstborn among many brethren, meaning he's your, it's almost like your, he's your big brother is in essence what the New Testament teaches. Last time I checked, that's relational. You know what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, he's the helper. He's the one who comes alongside. As a matter of fact, women sometimes are given the same word in Hebrew that the Holy Spirit was given. It's this unique thing of like helper, one who comes alongside. It's a, by, by the way, women, that's a compliment. They don't ever call men and God the same word. Uh, I don't know what that means. Now, no, move on. One who comes alongside, that's relational. That's close. That's proximity. That's connectedness. I'll give you this last one. Jesus even wanted to make sure his disciples so understood this. This is what he said to him. He said this in John 15, no longer do I call you servants, which I'm glad to be. But actually... The servant does not know what the master's doing. So now I'm going to call you what? Friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So you have God as a father. You have Jesus as a, as a big brother and as a friend. You have the Holy Spirit as a companion and a guide. I'm telling you what, this whole thing is relational. You were designed with a God-shaped hole that only he could fill through relationship. But he designed you with a human-shaped hole that he wanted you to engage with other people that only other people would be able to take away that idea of alone. This is what we know to be true is that your friends determine the quality and the direction of your life. Can I get an amen? That's just, when I just look at, even my health. Apparently I can have Twinkies now if I'll do it with my friends at a poker night. So my question would be this. You put this on the screen. So who are you doing life with? Who are you doing life with? Who are you calling? You're falling. You can't get up. There's a, you got to go to the hospital. There's a trash can laying on you. Something's crazy. That's a real story, by the way. I'm just not diamond out who it was. Who are you doing life with? Who are you going to call? You better figure out who those three people are. And you better start cultivating and nurturing that relationship. Who, who are the people closest to you? How long has it been since you gave him a call, her a call, shot him a text, just said, hey, I want you to know I love you. Hey, I want, I just want you to know I care. Hey, I was thinking about you today. How you been? Hey, I know you're going through this. How are you doing? Do you have a friend that you should call? Hey, when was the last time you went on date night? Husbands, wives, um, starting next week, I'm literally going to give away a date package. So get in here next, because you're going on a date. You're, bless God, I'll make you. When was the last time you went on a date night? Maybe a vacation, maybe times are tough and you can't afford it financially. Hey, get in the car and just drive to the beach and we can get there, right? Do something, cultivate, nurture. Hey, anybody in your life right now, don't you be honest with yourself. Is there anybody in your life right now that you're like, that's auto. That's crazy in my life. That's drama in my life. That's bad company corrupts good character. Is there anybody in my life that I need to sever? Hey, how am I doing with my relationship with my church? These are the, these are the questions you need to ask yourself because I promise 
your relationships, they will determine the quality and direction of your life. So who are you rolling with? Who are you doing life with? Let's pray this morning. Dear God, we pray that we would take this wisdom from scripture, these truths and principles from scripture, and that God, we would apply them to our life. That this is not just a one-time thing that I make a decision to do. This is a habit now. God, the habit is I will always put you first and it's something I gotta keep working at. And I'll manage my thought life, but I gotta keep working at that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna manage my time on purpose, but I gotta keep working on that. That's not a one-time decision. So God, I pray that you would help these things to become habits, things that are the normal routines. To not do them would be weird. God, how can I make these incredible life-changing principles just a part of who I am? Would you please help me to do that? God, would you please speak to me about my relationships today? God, throughout the rest of the day and maybe over the nights to come, would you wrestle with me over maybe those relationships? God, if there's one that you need to sever, I'm gonna pray God give you the courage and conviction because it's tough. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to cut off a relationship. It's hard, but I'm gonna pray that God give you the courage and conviction to do that. Hey, is there a step you need to take inside of your church? Jesus, give us the strength, the courage, the conviction, the wisdom, God, to engage in these great and meaningful relationships. Lord, we ask for your help and we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.